0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, be finding Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, I'm going to read verse 19 and 20, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. We've been looking at our purpose statement for the church which is to glorify God and make disciples. Um, We spoke last Sunday morning on glorifying God, and I hope that you will uh, find that uh, online if you missed the sermon last Sunday. Um, uh, By the way, we also have an app, yeah, high-tech going on here. I haven't been able to get on it yet, but I know they told me it's there. But uh, that sermon will be online and uh, on your uh, Apple, or your Applegate, or your Applification, whichever. Do we have the text? Okay, here's the text. To make disciples. I'm going to read from... Young's literal translation, which brings out the original language and the nuances of it, Matthew 28, 19. Uh, Since you are going, that is, uh, it's a participle, I-N-G word. It's uh, In the King James, it just says go, which indicates, it implies a command, but it's not actually a command or an imperative. It's it's an assumption. You're going to be going. Then he says, disciple all the nations. And there is a command. That's in Greek called an imperative uh, voice. And it is the only command actually in the text. Is disciple all the nations. Baptizing them. And once again, that's a I-N-G word, a participle, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching, a third I-N-G word, teaching them to observe all uh, all things, whatever I have commanded you, and, and behold, or lo, look at this, I am with you each and every day. The word for day is actually in the Greek text, every single day. Until the complete end of the age. So the, what you see here is three participles. This, by the way, the, the last words of someone are usually considered very important, vital, priority. And Jesus has already been crucified and resurrected and he's about to ascend into heaven. And these are his last words to his disciples. And the, he leaves them one command with three assumptions. He assumes that you're going to be going, you're going to be baptizing, you're going to be teaching. And the point of all three of these participles is make disciples. These are the three things, the three ing words basically is what making disciples includes. Going. Don't sit at home. Don't wait for the world to be converted. Take initiatives. They're not going to come to you. You go to them. Do something to reach them. So going. Take initiatives. Baptizing. That is, present the gospel in such a way that they are converted and that they are willing to be baptized publicly as a profession of their faith, and then teaching them. Don't drop them, but hold them accountable, instruct them, the whole counsel of God's Word, and if you do those three things, you will be making disciples, and that's the point, he says. Now, what is it to be a disciple? In Luke 5:33 they came to Jesus and they said why do the disciples of John John the Baptist fast and yours do not So John the Baptist had disciples And they said and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees fast but yours do not So the Pharisees had disciples What are disciples In the first century, being a disciple was not an unusual or abnormal thing. A lot of the rabbis, the leaders, would form small groups and would teach them their particular perspective on life. Even secular groups would have disciples, students, followers. So Jesus had disciples twelve disciples he chose them to be with him he did not give himself to the great crowds he didn't actually initiate uh, great crusades and and there's one occasion in John chapter 6 in which he had at least 5,000 men that came to a teaching session, not counting the women and children. And he taught them, but he also fed them. But he didn't stay. They actually, they were so impressed with the the food that he gave, you know, that was the time when he took a few loaves and fishes and fed the 5,000 men. They were so impressed they were going to make him the king of Israel. That's in John 6, 15. And it says, when he perceived they were going to come and make him a king by force, Jesus then withdrew to a mountain to be alone. He didn't go after big crowds. One writes this. He said, Jesus did not die and leave a megachurch of 10,000 attendees who were awestruck at his sermons, but then scattered at his death. Rather, he left twelve disciples who he commissioned to do with others what he had done with them. Each of those disciples developed a small group called a minion of ten each. Uh, Even today, uh, Jewish synagogues have a minion. Uh, It's the lowest number you can have and still have a synagogue. Ten Jewish men. Twelve disciples, and in Acts chapter 1 and verse 15, it says that Peter stood up among the believers about 120. So each of the twelve disciples had ten under his oversight. And which, by the way, in Acts 1, they are also called bishops or overseers. So each one had a group of ten. They were discipling them. This is why Jesus said in John 20 verse 21, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. As he sent me. The word as is very important. The method of operation, the way I did it, that's how I want you to do it. Uh, J.D. Greer has given an illustration of a math quiz, often uh, he says presented to children in school, where they are given an option. If you can receive $10,000 per day, if somebody just walked up and offered you $10,000 per day or for 30 days or one penny which is multiplied, that is compounded interest. You get a penny today and then you get two pennies tomorrow and then the next day each of those two pennies gets a penny each until it's multi- exponential. He said, would you take the $10,000 per day for one month or the one penny which is exponentially multiplied for one month. And if you think about it, $10,000 a day, at the end of the week, you'd have $70,000. And that would buy a good used car today. At the end of the week, you'd have almost $300,000, which you could apply to your credit card. (laughs) <laughs> but Greer goes on and he says, the one who takes the penny per day that is reproduced each day exponentially for 30 days would have $10,700,000 in his account. But if you took the $10,000 per day, which is not compounded, you would have 300000 at the end of the month. The point being that each one reproduces themselves, which then reproduce themselves. Exponential growth is explosive. It was Jesus' method, and it's why he wasn't depressed because there were only 12 disciples at the end who met him on a mountain in Galilee, and he said to them, Now go and you make disciples. And he wasn't discouraged because of the fewness of the number, he had put three years of intimate and close teaching, fellowship, prayer, and investment into their lives. And that doesn't go away. Multiplication beats addition every single time. This is essentially what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 28. He's saying, I want you, the command, the only imperative in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the only, in the Greek, the only imperative, the only actual command is make disciples. The participles are, you do it by going, baptizing, teaching. Now, this is not easy. Uh, you even see it in the life of Jesus In Matthew 17, Jesus has been instructing his disciples about two years worth. And they are coming, he's got a couple of them with him and they come down off the mountain and the bulk of his disciples are down at the foot of the mountain trying to cast out a demon. And the father comes up to Jesus and he says to Jesus, my my little boy has evil spirits bothering him. And your disciples couldn't do anything about it. And it caused Jesus to say these words. Matthew 17, 17. Jesus said, "Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long do I have to be with you? (laughs) Now, He didn't sin in that. It's just a frustration. He says, how long do I have to be with you? How long do I have to bear with you? The word bear means to be squeezed in. How long do I have to live with these people? (laughs) Discipleship, in other words, has many frustrations, but it has the greatest of rewards. So when we're talking about discipleship, it's not just going, it's not just baptizing or evangelism, It's not just following Christ. It's all of these together until the disciple themselves have become disciple makers. In other words, they can do to others what you have done to them. This is what Paul meant in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I think we can pull this up on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2. Where he writes to Timothy... And he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, now entrust to faithful men. He he gave it to Timothy. That's one removed. He says, now you do it to faithful men. That's third degree removed, third generation from Paul. Paul who will then be able to teach others also. That's a fourth generation from the Apostle Paul. This is what it means. is when you are reproducing. This is why one penny exponentially multiplied has a hundred times more at the end of the month than 10,000 per day. So we would summarize it like this. Why... Have we included in our purpose statement making disciples? Four summary reasons. Number one, it is commanded by the risen Christ. I pointed that out in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It's the only command in there. He commanded it. He's the Lord. It's not an option. Amen? Amen? I mean, if He commanded it, what are we supposed to do with that? It's not advice. (laughs) It's not a church growth method. And it doesn't matter if it's frustrating or failing. It's a command. We get up and try again. It is commanded. It is the only command in the Great Commission reference. Scripture. Number two reason we disciple is because it is practical and logical. That is to say, multiplication is more logical than addition. Multiplication beats addition every time. And discipleship is multiplication. You even see it, for example, in the language in the book of Acts when the church grew. It doesn't just say the church grew. It says in the beginning, Acts 2.41, those who received his word were baptized and were added. But as you go on through Acts, Acts chapter 6 verse 7, the word of God continued to increase and the disciples multiplied. In Acts 9.31, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee had peace and was built up in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Spirit, and it multiplied. It changes the vocabulary from addition to multiplication. That's why the church exploded into the 2nd century and into the 3rd century. Even um, the emperor of Rome, the Roman Empire, Constantine, professed faith in Christ and shut down in the Roman Empire all the pagan temples of Rome and made the buildings available to the Christians. The Christians didn't even use buildings except for the synagogues until the 3rd century when Constantine was converted and gave them the pagan temples. So it, is, it was very practical... Jesus knew the most effective method of expansion and reaching the world with the gospel was through discipleship. So, number one, it's commanded by the risen Christ. Number two, it's practical. Number three, it was the method of the apostles. If there are examples, we find the apostles, each one of the twelve, developed a group of ten. Paul discipled Timothy and told Timothy to disciple others. It's the method of the apostles. And finally, it comes with a promise. If you remember as we read Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus paused at the end of the Great Commission when he said, going, Make disciples, baptizing, and teaching. And then he added this. And behold, or lo, or notice, I am with you. I am with you to the end. Two points there. Number one, when he says, I am with you. he Remember that he just had said, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. 18... All authority in heaven and earth is given to me, therefore going. The one who is with us is the one who has all authority in heaven and earth. He can summon resources. He can change people's hearts. He can stand against Satan on your behalf. He can marshal the angels to come to your aid. This is the one you will need in discipleship. And he says, I am with you. And the other thing I would say about that is that it is a promise distinctly given to those who are making disciples. It is a discipler's promise. I am with you. Who's you? Disciples who are making disciples. So Bill Hull, who is a great discipler of our generation, um, in addressing a student body from which he graduated, starts his message with this question. He says, After 30 years of ministry, I still wonder why the church insists on trying to reach the world without making disciples. (laughs) So, find a small group. We have several. We can help you find one. If you don't like the ones that are there, start a small group. We can help you with that. Love them, bear with them. You're not going to be around God's people until, without having to love them and them loving you. You, don't, you can't be around anybody without love because we're full of flaws and imperfections. If you're perfect here today, could I see your right hand? Oh, wait, right hand. (laughs) I have exhibited imperfection. There are no perfect people, so we have to learn to love and bear with. Sometimes they ask stupid questions. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they're rude sometimes. Maybe they're late. If you have a meal, maybe they ate too much. And you didn't get your fire share. you learning to love them. And walking through the various hills and valleys of life with them. Praying for them and asking prayer from them. Do not let the least disciple pass your uh, meter of significance. The prayers of a disciple can save you. And... Perhaps remembering that we are trying to disciple our children with this new children's building and helping us with that. We do not want to try to disciple adults and not disciple our children. So glorify God. Make disciples. We've summarized what God's priorities are and put them in that little succinct statement. We hang on our walls and we try to let that guide us as we make decisions for the future. I saw some time ago in the news, they had this little special, um, a graffiti problem in Ann Arbor, especially around the University of Michigan. And businesses, you know, they'll have these long walls, brick walls, masonry walls, And they'd paint them up nice and kids would come by or somebody would come by and they'd put signs all over them. They'd write stuff, you know, Joe loves uh, Priscilla or whatever. And sometimes even gang signs would be put on these walls. But but they always something on the walls. And they couldn't keep them clean. And uh, Ann Arbor came up with this... uh, totally unique approach to protecting itself from graffiti. That is, they came in there with these artists and they drew a a large mural on these huge walls. And sometimes it was simply a tree with little faint green outline of a tree and a pool in the background, flowers around the edges. And they found that over 90% of the walls that had a mural already painted in place would be kept clear from graffiti. That the biggest thing about graffiti that attracts attracts it was the fact that it's a blank slate. And I, I, when I was watching that, I thought, that is so true in every realm. In my house... We have sometimes tables or spaces and something's going to get set up on it. Books. Papers. It's hard to find an empty table. I come in one day and we had an empty table cleared off and guess what was on it? My cat or Jan's cat. It is in no sense, actually it's not anybody's cat. It just lives there. But it was just sprawled out on this table. Every empty space invites activity. And a church is like that. A church's calendar. A church's future. And a church's philosophy and purpose for existence. So we went to the scripture... And we put together what we felt like our primary duty to God, glorifying. What's our primary duty toward the world, the nations? It is to make disciples. And we put it in a succinct little statement, glorify God, make disciples. That's why we're here. And it helps us so that when people come in with their preferences, and sometimes agendas, sometimes great needs, there's so many things, some of them legitimate. But the thing that must hold us together and drive us and keep us on the right road is the priorities of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. It's His priorities. And we have simply tried to summarize those and put them in a little statement that becomes our purpose and calling. Glorify God. Make disciples. May His blessing be on us as we seek to do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for having such an assignment to give to us, a vision that you've bestowed upon us, a sense of calling, and we praise you that we are invited to participate. Thank you. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Uh, Help us to do it, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.